All right. How's everybody doing? Great. That's good. Hungry? All right. Well, we had lots of biscuits and burritos. All right. So uh, I think there were some Christmas cookies and stuff out there, too. Jason is here today visiting us from the north. Birmingham, that's about as north as we, we allow him to go. So Jason is here. He didn't bring his guitar, so I'll double missile kick him in the chest later. We could have used you today. This was your time. This is your moment. All right, cool. Bring your guitar. But seriously, bring your guitar. All right. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, who remembers what we talked about last week? I used to do this with the youth all the time, so I'm going to do it with you guys too. Jesus, that's true. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good youth answer too. Jesus. I didn't even ask a question. We did talk about Jesus, but even more specifically, uh, the gospel. The gospel of? The gospel, you're close. The gospel of? I'm just going to leave. Kingdom. The gospel of? The kingdom. All right. Oh, my gosh. All right. Jason's back. All right. So you remember I drew two imaginary circles? Focus. Remember I drew two imaginary circles and where they met? You remember that? We talked about the temple. I, I want to I, I refresh quickly so we can get to the part that I want to talk about today. So just try to focus. There's a kingdom of heaven, kingdom of earth, right? And in the garden, those two were overlapping 100%. We kind of screwed that up, right? <laughs> we decided we wanted our own kingdom, and we were going to decide what was right and wrong, and we did not trust the Father to do that for us, and so we kind of, we kind of, we kind of had a hostile takeover, and we wanted to make our own kingdom. And Jesus called this the, or the kingdom, or God calls it the kingdom of this age. I think Paul called it uh, the kingdom of sin and death, I think is what he called it, this, this, this kingdom that is, is separate from the kingdom of heaven. And basically what that meant was, we kind of wanted to do our own thing outside of, the, of what God had for us, which was always better. We just didn't trust. So it was a main trust issue from the beginning. So there's this kind of this hostile takeover. We want to do our own thing. We wanted to find what right and wrong was, what good and evil was. And we're not very good at that. I don't know if you know people <laughs> or history. We fumbled that up real, real good, uh, deciding on our own what good and evil is. But we continue to do it. We continue to try to do that and create these kingdoms on our own. It's part of the problem we found even in I call churchianity in, in our culture which is a religion or a man-made religion that's really outside of what God calls the kingdom. And I know that's really a bold statement, but I believe it to be true. And it's what I think a lot of us ended up finding ourselves in this place is because we had been hurt under that crazy worldly kingdom that kind of masqueraded as the church. Um, and I know it's a broad generalization. I'm not saying like all other churches are bad because they're not. There's some awesome churches out there that are really good. Um, but as a whole, I remember when right after I got saved, seeing how that all looked, and it, I was crushed under it really quickly. Um, I was free through the grace of Jesus, and then I got into religion, and I was not free anymore. And it was it was it was not only difficult; it was impossible to try to get into a place that I already was. Make sense? And so that's what happens when you try to create your own king. You try to get into a place that God's already prepared for you, and He's made perfect in every way, and it's better than you could even imagine. So we screwed all that up. <laughs> So then, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to talk fast, and then we'll try to slow down towards the end. But, um, but we're gonna we're gonna start in Matthew, and I don't I haven't decided how I'm gonna do this yet because I haven't like I haven't like gone out to search for uh, this this 
whatever uh, series or something on the kingdom, what I do constantly is try to reevaluate why we're here as a church body and what we do and what our purpose is and all that kind of stuff. It's always on the, on, in the back of my head. It always comes back to the front. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? That kind of thing, right? And what I always, what I ended up with at least this time that, that really, really catches me again that I've seen for years is the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so we're going to talk about it briefly. I say briefly as briefly as I can possibly talk, so listen fast. Um, so what we see, how do you listen fast? I don't know. I'll work it out because I talk fast and I had coffee. Use both ears. So when we think of, especially I think in our culture too, when we think of Jesus' primary message, I think a lot of, peop- a lot of people will, will lo- have lots of different answers for that, right? Um, and there are lots of things that are very good that Jesus taught. Uh, I think a lot of things that come up when we ask people, you know, what was Jesus' message? And they'll say, well, love was one. Love, uh, the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself is a good one. But he really, he said that once. And then there was another time, you know, he talked about loving your enemies, which we've talked about too. Uh, and bless those that persecute you. Bless you. You don't persecute me, but bless you. And, and we, hear, we hear these things and we, we tag those to Jesus, which they are. And he told lots of parables that were very good and we learned a lot from them. But if we want to look at, the, at Jesus' primary message, it was the kingdom. Oh, it's what he talked about. Literally, it was one, he said it 1.5 times per page. In 30 pages, depending on how big your writing is, in 30 pages, he said it 50 times. So if you break that down, it's like one and a half times per page. He talked about the kingdom constantly. When he came, he was baptized, and he came out of the water, and he began to preach this message, and this message that he preached was the kingdom of God has come near. This is what he talked about all the time. It was a really big deal. <laughs> So big that, that it was his, his, his huge message about this kingdom. Well, when we look at that, especially me, when I first started reading the Bible, it, it didn't mean anything to me, right? Okay, his kingdom, yeah. Kingdom of God is here, kingdom of God has come near. I, just, I breezed over it and just kept reading all the other things that I could kind of relate to. But we have to put ourselves in a position, especially in that time of uh, the Jews that were in that day and understanding the significance of what he was saying. And so we're going to do that right now, hopefully. I'll try to take you all on a little journey. In Matthew 4.12, if you do have your Bible, uh, turn there or turn it on, whatever your Bible is. And I want, to encourage you on, I want to encourage you to look at this stuff on your own, not just take my word for it, although I hope to not lead you astray. I want you to read this stuff and look for it because I'm telling you, the more I see the character of Jesus, the more I see the character of God, the more impressed I am of him. Not just because he's powerful, because he is, but just how much God was represented through Jesus in his life and his death, burial, resurrection, and sin in the Holy Spirit. Every time I read it, every single time, I'm like, God, this is so awesome. Jesus is so great. So Matthew 4.12 says, When Jesus heard that John had been uh, put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, uh, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Um, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali. I can't say these words very well. Uh, the, way of, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, stop there. Do we know what repent means? Metanoia, right? Basically saying, stop. Repent. Metanoia means change the way you think. That sounds simple, but it's very hard. I don't know if you've ever tried to change the way you think, but it's not easy. Have you ever tried to break a habit? It's not easy. What he's telling you to do here when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is come near, he's saying, stop. Stop everything. Like, stop. 
You need to look at this whole kingdom thing differently. That's what repent is. Repent says, turn away from everything you've ever known about kingdoms, about kings, about nations, about all these different things, and listen who he's talking to. He's talking to a primarily Jewish audience. They know about kingdoms. They know about lineage. They've been taught it their whole lives. That's all they do. It's not just they go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and do these things. This is their life. This is all they know is kingdoms and kings. And right now, they feel like they're, uh, well, they are really oppressed under Rome and the, under the leadership there. And so they feel like they've been forgotten by God and they're waiting on this, this leader to come. So they, they understand this language, right? We look at it and it's kind of foreign to us. We don't really think about kingdoms. I don't, do you guys talk about kingdoms every day? We had a birthday party yesterday. It didn't come up once. No one, no one said, happy birthday. Hey, what, what do you think about the kingdom of God? Which I encourage you, next time you're at a party, <laughs> bring it up. It'll be fun. Um, or no one will want to talk to you. All right. So, no guarantee. But what I'm saying is we don't, we don't use that language very often, but they did. They recognized it, right? So this is what he says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the, Gal- the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting the net into the sea for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you uh, out to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two, bro- two other brothers, excuse me, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. So this is their family business, and they're, they're with their father fishing. And they're preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, <clears throat> We're not going to get, this is going to be kind of a two-part thing because I can't get to it all today. So we're going to mainly focus on the first part of verse 23 as we continue on. Jesus went went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And after that, it says, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's, I don't want you to think I'm taking the whole healing thing off because I don't want to address it. I just want to take more time because I want to talk about it more later. Make sense? I want to kind of focus more on what Jesus was talking about because I think that's important for us to see. So... Jesus walks around this lake and basically calls out to these guys and said, hey, come follow me. Now imagine for yourself in our day and time if someone came anywhere that you would be hanging out or doing your job and said, hey, quit everything that you're doing and follow me, what would you think? No, right? No, weirdo, right? How presumptuous, how like bold and arrogant is that for someone to say, forget everything you know <laughs> about your life and what you care about most and come follow me, you'd say, there's no way. You're crazy, right? There's no way. This is my beef with the whole good moral teacher thing. Jesus was not just some good moral teacher. It's not, they didn't crucify him because he was a good moral teacher. Oh, you want to love people? Kill him, right? That doesn't make any sense. It's not, that's not, that wasn't the issue. Jesus was making some extremely bold statements, and he was walking around like he owned the place. Like, <laughs> he did. But like a king, he said, you follow me. He didn't say, hey, you think you might want to fish for men? or, or something? You know, He didn't try to convince them. He said, you come follow me. And they did. And he, he went to someone else with their father and said, hey, leave, leave your family and come follow me. It's a pretty radical statement. Not only leave your father, you, especially in this culture, you may for sure be ostracized and completely condemned for following me you may no longer have a family. Like, they may cut you off completely. I don't know if that's a big deal to you, but that hurts. And they said, yeah, we're going to follow you. 
This Jesus walked around, and the cool thing, I think, is he didn't go into the synagogues and say, okay, this Pharisee who's extremely intelligent and well-dressed, no, he went and found these fishermen that smelled like fish and that weren't very smart. And I'm not being a jerk. They just, they, they weren't. It says they weren't. And people were surprised at how intelligent they were when they began, spoiler alert, when they got the Holy Spirit and began to speak boldly. So this Jesus walks around like he owns the place, like he's this king, and he starts summoning people to come follow him. And then they do. This is not a new idea. This is something that if, if Jesus was walking around and, and he did go to some synagogues, he began to teach. And so imagine if you're some young Jewish person and you find yourself trying to find your way into this small building that doesn't fit anybody and you're trying to listen to what this Jesus that you've heard about is talking about. And he says, hey, repent. The kingdom has come near. You would recognize what that meant. Why would you recognize it? I'm glad you asked. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis, there's a kingdom. Like I said, there was a hostile takeover when we kind of messed the whole thing up. Instead of trusting the Father and ruling the earth as designed as humans, we were given authority to do that. We decided to take it upon ourselves to make an alternate kingdom with our rules and our wants and what we thought we needed and what we thought we wanted. This started the age of human kingdoms that redefined good and evil on our own terms. Uh, this is what Jesus called, and I actually have it quoted here, this age or the age of the world, and Paul called it the age of sin and death. The meta-narrative, or what we, t- we call the big picture of the Bible, which I think is so important, is what is God going to do about this hostile takeover? What is he going to do about these kingdoms that are coming up? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so God's goal and his mission was to make his kingdom the one rule and reign that was necessary and that was going to take the earth again. So God, just, God decides to, like I said, I'm going to go kind of fast through this. Most of you know these stories, so hopefully you can keep up. God decides to start this plan with a new family with two people. You know who those two people were back then? Abraham, Sarah. Yeah. So they're supposed to train their family in the ways of the Lord and be just and righteous in this alternate kingdom that's different than the kingdoms that are around them. Their family grows and ends up under slavery, uh, under Egypt and Pharaoh. And Pharaoh in the story uh, represents everything that's wrong with human, human, a human kingdom or a kingdom of this age. He's power hungry. He's murderous. He even thinks it's okay to kill babies so that they can build bigger storehouses. He, thinks, he says that's good and other things are evil. So he's creating his own kingdom and he's redefining what good and evil are, right? So he represents basically our problem, right? And so the, the, the Israelites are oppressed in this and God raises up a deliverer. What's his name? Bible trivia. Moses, right? <laughs> so Moses calls out Pharaoh and gets in his face, says, hey, you're doing this wrong. You need to humble yourself. Let, let my people go, right? And so he says, he says you, need, you, need to, you need to humble yourself or God's going to be mad at you <laughs> and it's not going to be good. And Pharaoh pretty ignorantly puffs his chest out and says, I'm, let's, I'm down. You don't know who I am. And basically God rolls up his sleeves and they get in a fight. And I don't know if you know how that worked out. <laughs> not well. Don't roll up your sleeves and get in a fight with God. That's not a good idea. It will not end well. And so what happens ultimately? He's crushed right in the sea. And the Israelites are free. They are, um, they are, what is the word I'm looking for? I've got it written down. Da, 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 da. Delivered? Yeah, delivered would be a good word. There's another word I was looking for, but that's it. They're delivered um, out of this oppression. Um, where is it? I lost my notes. Man, when I start talking about God, I start crying for some reason. It's weird. Uh, the first time God's called king is in Exodus 15 when they're celebrating. He says, Yahweh reigns for king, 
uh, reigns as king forever and ever. So he, that starts then. So most of what the, the Jews were learning, even in the New Testament, were of all these stories about the deliverance of their people, right? They have this lineage. They have this God that they're waiting for. We talked about last week, if you guys remember, other than Jesus, we talked about other things. Uh, we talked about last week was how beautiful are the feet of that messenger that comes to bring the good news. So that's what these people are waiting for, that the, the Jews are waiting for this deliverance again. They know it, they're familiar with it, and they're looking for this kingdom, and they're looking for this king to show up. Um, and they want this king uh, uh, to come and reassert his reign, and he does it the same way by forming an alternate people and confronting evil and its destruction. Liberating, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, liberating people and inviting them to live under his rule and reign. This is, this is what it looks like when God asserts his kingdom. <clears throat> So what does it mean when we're in Matthew and it says his kingdom has come near? It means that he's doing the same thing that he's always done, right? He's forming a group of people. He's liberating them from the kingdom of this world. And so when the kingdom shows up, evil is confronted and people are liberated. Does this sound familiar? If you're a Jew, you know these stories by heart. It's, it was a cyclical thing where they messed up. They were, God was angry. They repented. He was happy at them. They screwed up again. He was mad at them. They repented. He was happy at them. That was the cycle of the Old Covenant, right? So they're familiar with this story. They're waiting on this next cycle to come. They're waiting for them. Okay, when are we going to get delivered again? We know we trust our God. He's going to be good. When's he going to deliver us again? And so they're looking for this king that's going to deliver them from what? From oppression, right? But what they don't realize is it's a much bigger thing going on than what they think. They think they're oppressed by Rome. They think they're oppressed by Caesar. They want... They want this new king to come with a sword and a white horse and to destroy Rome and to free them again. But God has a better plan, right? God doesn't want to free them from oppression from Rome. He wants to free everyone from the oppression of sin, death, and hell. God has a bigger, better plan than what, than what they can even see. Why does he say, repent, stop? That's why. This isn't the same cycle that you know of the Old Covenant. It's not going to be lambs and bulls. It's not going to be this holy of holies. It's not going to be this temple with, with, with a, a likeness of the kingdom. Man, think about this. I'm bringing the kingdom with me. You don't have to build anything. You don't have to make a house. I'm going to make my house with you. Man, that gets me excited when I think about that. I'm going to go, when, when I show up, my kingdom comes with me. This is an upside-down kingdom because you're not thinking about, well, and this is where the whole churchianity thing gets on my nerves because it's, hey, when you die one day, you get to go to glory land. Glory land came to us. <laughs> glory land is in you. When, it, when, when he says the kingdom has come near, it's because he hasn't died, been resurrected, and sent his Holy Spirit. Now the kingdom is here. It's not just come near. It's here. They needed to see that it was coming. This kingdom was coming, and, it, and they needed to repent and see that it wasn't like the kingdoms of old. It's not like any of, the, any of the earthly kingdoms that can be shaken. This kingdom cannot be shaken. It's an unshakable kingdom. We talked about it in my office this morning. Why do we have peace in the middle of turmoil? It's because we carry a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Earthly kingdoms shake. Don't be surprised when they do. Money. This, this is what I love about Jesus. He addresses all these things. He pulls no stops. And, and what Jesus does when his kingdom comes and, and every person he comes in contact with they have to deal with these issues that they have. None of them leave unchanged, not a one. He talks about sex. He talks about marriage. He talks about relationship. He talks about persecution. He talks about enemies. I would love to hang out with Jesus at a party. I don't like fluff talk. I would be the one talking about the kingdom. I'll, I, I get frustrated because I want to talk about deeper things, but sometimes it's not 
kosher in most social settings. <laughs> it's difficult for me. I try, but it's hard. But I'm saying it would be so awesome if we would start seeing things, and I'm preaching to myself here too because I don't always do this, if we would start seeing things for the real opportunity that they are. And those opportunities are these pockets that we talked about last week of the kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. These, these pockets are God's plan to not just free people from the immediate oppression that they think that they see, but ultimately the oppression that's deeper in their hearts that they have to deal with when he comes. He changes them from the inside out. That's how he works. He says, you have issues, and I'm here to deal with them. And he, doesn't, he pulls no stops. Well, if, we, if we continued on, which we may do, in the next few chapters, he, he goes through and he begins to teach, and that's the things I want to talk about. It says, uh, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Why did he do that? Because we needed to see it. We needed to, we needed to learn. We needed to understand what it looked like. And it's cool because he says it and then he does it. So then he goes into the Beatitudes. He goes into, uh, he goes into you've heard it said, remember? But I say, why? This kingdom looks different. You've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I say. You've heard it said don't commit adultery, but I say. What, what is he doing when he's doing that? He's not giving you a harder set of rules. He's saying you can't live up to the standards. Zero chance that you can live up to the standards. What standards? You remember that ki- the kingdoms we were talking about before? The Jews did the same thing. They took, remember the, the rules? How many rules were there? Well, first there were 10. Then there were 603. They added to them. 613, right? That's an, that's an earthly kingdom. 613 rules they created to try to fix our problem. And Jesus comes and says, to follow the 10, just to keep the 10. So people that really want to stand up on this whole Ten Commandments thing and really pushing the Ten Commandments, sorry. Actually, Actually, you got a lot more to do than what you think because rules and regulations does not create a relationship. It cannot. It will not. I always joke around about marriage because it's a a good representation. If I check all these things off the list, do I have a good marriage? No. Just because I do some things doesn't mean that I care about my wife or she cares about me. It's the other way around. Because I care, I do some things. It's not a checklist. That's why Jesus didn't send some divine text message to us to teach us in the new covenant. He sent himself. He gave of himself. This new way, this new kingdom, it says, hey, if you're high and lofty and you think you're hot stuff or whatever, you're going to be the least in this kingdom. If you're poor, now listen to this, not just poor monetarily, if you're poor in spirit, and he talks about this extensively, What is poor in spirit? You think you're less than you are. You're going to be the one that's going to be the greatest because that is easier to teach than the one that thinks he knows everything. I don't know if you've ever had an employee, but I know that in my business, we try to hire, and other businesses try to hire people that don't have experience in those areas so they can teach them their way. Why? Because they already have their own way. They have to unlearn it. Repent. Why do we need to repent? Because our minds are messed up. Even today, we don't work in kingdoms. Even today, we have an idea of the way church should look. This is where I find myself when I, when I get to the kingdom. I'm not looking to, I wasn't looking for the kingdom, it's just there. I'm looking at, I'm a pastor of a church, and how does our church need to operate? Here it is. We operate from a different kingdom. When we, when we operate from a different kingdom, we see things that not everyone else can see. When we get to the second part of this, especially the supernatural stuff, which is really fun, that is recognizing that we live a supernatural life right now. That's, that's recognizing that there are things happening that you don't always see with your eyes, 
we talk about uh, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and heavenly realms. Those heavenly realms aren't somewhere in some cloud. It's right now because where, where's heaven? It's in our heart. So we fight these battles. We fight them face to face. Now, what's easy? You ever want to punch somebody in the face? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's easy. I mean, it's not always easy. Sometimes it hurts. But I'm just saying, it, when, he, when, when he addressed some of these things, he talks about an eye for an eye. It's easy to, to come back at somebody and, I don't know what you call like clap back or just smart off or just come back at somebody. That's easy. What's hard is to take a breath and go, okay, what's going on here? What's going on in the kingdom? Not what's going on right in front of me. Because I can see what's right in front of me, and I really want to punch this guy in the face. I can, that's easy. What's hard is to say, okay, I'm not a part of this kingdom. <laughs> right? Repent. I'm not a part of this kingdom. What's really going on here? And what you'll see very clearly, very quickly is whoever is coming at you has something else going on that needs to be addressed, and it ain't you, usually. I'm just saying, I, I, I snapped, I remember when it was, it was several weeks ago when we got pranked over and over and over again, and it was funny for the first two or three times, and then like the fourth time, somebody put Raymond noodles in our fountain at our house, and I just replaced a water heater, and I was like stressed out, and I went outside and saw Raymond noodles, and I was like, that's going to get all this pump, it's just going to be a pain in the butt, not going to even matter, who cares, it's a stupid fountain, I could concrete the thing in, I wouldn't care, it just came with the house. But it was because everything else that had led up to that, I was just like, ah, why Raymond noodles? Why would you put Raymond noodles in here? Of all the things, we already had suds put in it. That's fine. We had toilet paper on the trees. We had all these different things. It wasn't the noodles. It was everything else that had led up to that, right? I was dealing with some other things. And finally, when I realized that and I settled down, I was like, who cares? Is it a fountain and Raymond noodles? It's not a big deal, right? Squirrels will eat it. This is good. I don't know. Squirrels are just rats with fuzzy tails. Tracy won't let me shoot them. They get on my nerves. <laughs> they're cute, but they're just, they're nuisances. They eat everything. They chew on stuff. Anyway, focus. I don't know if they eat Raymond noodles or not, but maybe. We'll see. Maybe it'll kill them. That'd be even better. <laughs> don't quote me on that. That sounds bad. All right. Got to record it now. Maybe it won't. That'd be good. Okay. All right. <clears throat> All right. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, so this, <laughs> this Jesus doesn't go to, to all these, back to, what are we talking about? Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't go into the synagogues to recruit people. He does go in there to teach people, which is oddly an awesome picture of the upside-down kingdom. He goes in to teach the Pharisees about what his kingdom looks like. And he goes out and he recruits the poor in spirits because the poor in spirit, because he knows that they can recognize something that maybe some other people that think they know everything may not recognize. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he doesn't forget about the Pharisees. He loves them too. As frustrated as he is, and he calls them some ugly names, as frustrated as he is, I love when he says, and I, y'all have probably heard me say this before, I love when he says, when, when they're getting on to him about um, healing on the Sabbath and feeding his guys on the Sabbath and different things like that, I love when he says, go and learn what it means that I desire mercy over sacrifice. And the Pharisees should have known the Torah. They should have known the scriptures. They should have went back and seen. If you read where it says, I desire mercy over sacrifice, what it's talking about is feed the orphans and the widows, care for those that are poor in spirit, care for those that are hurting, that God was angry because they were more focused on the traditions, the sacrificial system, right? That they were so focused on getting that part perfect that they didn't care about people. So God, even way back in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, was trying to help people see his heart was to love people, not just to go and do the things. But like I said, if you've met a human, we tend to screw that up. 
So we were caught up in the things. And so he was telling the Pharisees, he loved them enough to speak in a language that they could understand. You know, he talked to fishermen in the ways of fisher. I'm going to make you fishers of men. He talked to farmers in the way that farmers understood this mustard seed. You know, this is the way farming works. We don't farm, so we don't get that. With the Pharisees, he went straight to Scripture, and he said, go learn what it means. I desire mercy over sacrifice, and you'll see what's going on here. My guys are hungry, and this person needs healing. I'm the Sabbath. It's not about a day. It's not about traditions of men. It's about the reality of the kingdom coming into your life and changing everything that you know. Repent. The kingdom of God has come near. When I would tell the kid, bless you. Don't persecute me. I'm going to say that now every time. <laughs> Bless those that persecute you. All right. When I would teach the kids, uh, one of the translations says the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God, and these are interchangeable. The kingdom is at hand. I would always have them put their hand out because that's something visually that we can understand. Now, as we know, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, but before we can even get that reality, we have to see that it comes near and it's not some far away past that second ceiling tile. You know, heaven is not distant. Everyone looks up there like, what? But that's, what I, that's what, what I learned when I first started going to church was that heaven was far, far away, and we've got to somehow create, we've got to fix this gap, even though he already did and he came to us. It doesn't make any sense. When you read about the kingdom, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is, is the message that Jesus preached everywhere he went. He didn't just preach it, he demonstrated it, and that's what we'll get, hopefully get to next week about how he demonstrated what that kingdom does when it crashes into people. It's pretty cool. I'm, I'm anxious to do it. I don't want to spoil it, though. <clears throat> but this kingdom is radically different, and it takes a lot of explaining and teaching. Matthew 5 through 7 are examples of Jesus just doing that, and we may go through that as well. I don't know yet. I haven't thought that far ahead. Sorry. Um, uh, Jesus will teach about the kingdom extensively, and it will uh, be so backwards to what people were thinking that he spends several years doing it, gathering them and helping them understand it. Uh, Jesus says in my kingdom... To assert your rule and reign is to serve. To constantly be looking out for others' best interest, even at the expense of your own. That's what we talk about agape love. That's what agape love is. Agape love said, I'm going to look out for someone else, even at the expense of myself. It doesn't mean you, this is where some other religions will try to beat themselves up to try to be holier. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about recognizing the need of others above our own needs. That's a, different, a completely different thing. It's not just sacrificing for the sake of sacrificing because you're not going to get any closer to God by doing that. The way that we understand who God is and he lives through us is by serving and loving those that are around us. You're, you're, no, you're no closer to God than you could possibly be by loving and serving others. Um, what happens in the next several chapters of Matthew is what we talked about is everyone that comes in contact with Jesus and his kingdom are changed. Their fears, hopes, insecurities, innermost thoughts, and ideas are all exposed and challenged. Jesus confronts our individual hearts and fixes us from the inside out. He talks about all the things that we talked about earlier, from, from status, identity, sex, relationships, marriage, being single, being persecuted, dealing with mean people. All these things he addresses. And he works through, God works through Jesus to redefine your life and mine according to his kingdom. He realigns our life to what it was designed from the beginning in the garden. Essentially, he creates a garden in your heart where you and God walk in the cool of the day together. I always joke around about having one of those BFF, you remember those BFF necklaces that have half a heart and a little jagged thing in the middle? He like gives you half of it and he keeps half. And he's like, we're good. We're best friends forever. He, the, the personification of God and Jesus is not just something to be learned or taught, although we can learn and be taught. It's something that has to be experienced. Another good example is about marriage and kids. They were 
I don't know if you if you were married and you've had kids, you probably said a lot of dumb things like, when I get married or when I have kids, I'm never going to do this. Anybody? Never. I'm never going to do this. <laughs> yes, you will. You certainly will. More than you thought. It's the same way with the kingdom. You, you can't put God in a box. Don't pretend like you can. God's, God's heart for giving is not limited to these boxes and this. That's why I tell you the tithe was old covenant. If you need to, if you need to tithe 10% because that helps you keep up with that, it's fine. But if you're tithing because you think it's a law and you think that God's going to be happy at you if you tithe, stop tithing. Seriously, like stop tithing until you know your identity in Christ and then give from that place. Amen. And I guarantee you, you'll be happier and you'll probably end up giving more so the kingdom will grow even more. The beautiful thing about that is you're not limited to this. That same giving heart works out there. It's not just limited to giving in here. Because if it was just a law and I said, well, I've given my 10%, you go out here in someone's need, you're like, I'm sorry, go to the church, I just gave my 10%. Good luck with that. That's not, that's not what God wants. That's not God's heart. God's heart says, you were created in my image, not just you have two ears and a nose. Not you're, the word image there is uh, ecclesia, is icon, is where uh, it's the very character of God that he's given us. That's what was restored in Jesus. That character that we got in, in Eden, in the garden, was restored in Jesus. That, that, that kingdom that was overlapping in the garden is overlapping in your heart. So when, when you go out, you are carrying something. You're not going alone. You're not just waiting for our worship team to get you built up and worked up and, and emotional or, or, or happy or feeling good enough. Or you're not waiting on me to tell you that you're good enough. You should have a Holy Spirit that tells you that every day. You're good enough. You can, I was thinking of that Saturday Night Live skit when he's like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> Y'all remember that? It was an old SNL thing. I used to watch Saturday Night Live a lot. Um, so you don't need a motivational speech to get going. You should always have it. That's why when, when, when we recognize, when we see this kingdom, when we repent and don't look at things the same way everyone else looks at things, when we repent and we, we understand that the kingdom is with us, each individual issue is step-by-step step and moment-by-moment moment changed all the time. And it's fun. It's not stressful. Sometimes it can be a little awkward, but most of the time it's, it's fun, and you don't think about it. Why? Because you've got an unshakable kingdom. What's going to shake it? I'm not worried about the opinions of man or, or that I'm going to be embarrassed or that um, I may say something wrong or I may do something incorrectly or I may screw this up. God would not give you the Holy Spirit to be a comforter and a leader to let you screw it up. He'll fix it. He'll fix it, and he'll lead you in the right way, and he'll put people in your lives to help you fix it. If you, if you screw it up bad enough, he'll throw someone in there and say, whoa, <laughs> that will lovingly tell you, don't, let's, let's help you with this. All right. <clears throat> I can't tell you where you need the kingdom. <clears throat> if I know you well enough, I may be able to hint in that direction, but I don't know everybody as well as God does. So in those areas that you need the kingdom to come into your life, you, that's personal to you, and you need to recognize it. Thank you. <clears throat> I forget that I need water until I need water. But all of us in one way, shape, or form continually need the kingdom to reshape our lives. We need that. I remember Jasmine mentioned something about painting, and that's something that stuck with me because I'm a very visual person. She said, I was painted a picture of what life was supposed to look like when I was younger, and I was too, and it was not pretty. There was a lot of uh, drugs and alcohol and abuse and everything, that, and, and abandonment and manipulation, all kinds of crazy stuff when I was growing up, and in my mind, that was life. And that picture was painted for me, and it's taken years 
for the Holy Spirit and for Scripture and for you guys to help erase some of those things and fix them, paint a new picture, essentially. That's what the kingdom does. The kingdom says you thought you've been a part of this kingdom, but this kingdom is shaking and it doesn't work, and your version of right or wrong is iffy at best. (laughs) Your version of good and evil, eh, it fluctuates with how you feel and, and what you've been taught, but mine is perfect. Mine is perfect, and not only do you, can you not live up to it, or could you ever achieve it on your own, I give it to you freely, and I will give you this perfect faith, and you can live out the rest of your life in an unshakable kingdom. What an awesome gift. As we, as we lead into Christmas and we think about gifts and all the things that we could get or all the things that we can't get because there's some container somewhere in China. <laughs> Let's forget they're all parked off the coast of California, and we know they're out there pitching in or whatever they do, doing, doing white elephant. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're all busy pitching in. I'm just kidding. They're all doing what they do out there. Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm joking about all that stuff. But I'm just saying, focus on, focus on, focus on Jesus. But not only Jesus, but Jesus came as a king with a kingdom. He is Father for sure, and he's not. Man, I just, I, like I said, every time I see Jesus and I see his character, I see God more clearly, which is the purpose of Jesus. Um, but every time you do, when you begin to study and read for yourself and see that, and if you struggle with, with Scripture, find, find a translation that you can understand. I would recommend, if you have a hard time with Old English and these and thous, I would recommend the message. I really like the Message Bible. I like the way Eugene Peterson really dug into the Greek and Hebrew and pulled out. It is a bit of a paraphrase in areas. Um, but I've, I've found that to be easier for people that don't really understand, especially understand Jewish culture and how that looked. It's really good. Don't be scared that you're going to fly off the deep end and go worshiping Satan just because you have a different version of the Bible. It's not that complicated. I mean, there's some screwed up versions, don't get me wrong, but you have to really look for a screwed up version. There's, there's lots of from the, all these different ones are pretty good. NASV is good. Uh, Holman, yeah, all, all these different ones are good. The, there's nothing... Yes, can you find some mess-ups or some scripts in there? There probably is. We're all, we all mess it up. But, man, you'd, you'd have to be real messed up <laughs> to get so far off from a translation. I'm just being honest. You'd have to try real hard to do that, I think. So, or find somebody that knows a little bit better and meet with them. We're, we're working on figuring out a way to do that in a, a little more social setting, um, maybe on Wednesdays, maybe on, we don't know when it's going to be, but we're, we're talking about how we're going to do that, maybe rotating in some of the elders to help do some of that. But some of those areas, and one of the reasons why we meet is to clarify some of these things, so that's good too. But anyway, I just encourage you to read because it's so cool when you see it on, on your own, when you see it when, it, when it lights up to you and the Holy Spirit lights up a scripture to you and you go, oh, this is really cool. And God's so faithful in showing you that. He puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. I'm not the smartest person in the world. Uh, <laughs> shocker. Uh, but, I remember, but I remember reading uh, C.S. Lewis and like him hurting my brain because he was so smart. And I was like, wow, all these big words. And I, but, it, but I learned a lot from it. It helped me see some things that I didn't see before. Um, but I had to get past the fact that he smoked a cigar. I really like, that's how legalistic I used to be. When I found out C.S. Lewis smoked a cigar, I was like, and I just read like two of his books. I was like, does it, I was so dumb and I was so like young and ignorant. I was like, oh, like I was going to throw out everything he taught because he smoked a cigar. That's how dumb I was. Yeah, I've been corrupted. Like, oh, he's bad because he smoked a cigar. I was like, oh, yeah. Man, that's what, that's what religion and legalism does to you. It puts up blocks where there shouldn't be blocks. Anyway, I'll preach another sermon on that later. Stand up with me, I'm pray for you guys. Um, I hope you guys have a great day. Father, I just uh, I thank you that you've given us breath for another day just to worship you and to thank you and to share your good news. 
And Lord, uh, if it was important enough for you to talk about, it's important for us to important enough for us to talk about your kingdom. Um, so Lord, as we as we see it and as we recognize it when we go out of these doors, Lord, this is our playground. This is our this is our world. You've 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 placed us in it to do something. Lord, help us to see what that something is day by day and moment by moment. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would highlight to us individuals, people that you care about, that we could bless and minister to uh, today and, and, and every other day. Um, as long, Like I said, as long as we have breath in our lungs, Lord, I just pray that we would just continue to do that and for you to highlight those people to us. In Jesus' name, amen.